if you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to Hebrews 10. We're going to be studying from this passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and following. And before we get into the text, I want to begin by thinking about things that people leave behind. Things that people forsake. Things that people desert. I was reading an article about the workplace. And I read this article and it was very interesting. And it said this, that Americans forfeit and don't use 768 million days of vacation every year. I was like, man, I'm scrambling to find my days off. And I want some days off, but I just imagine 768 million days. And here's the thing, 236 million of those were completely forfeited away. You don't get them back. They don't roll over to the next year. And you know what? That's a part of what they make in a living, that that is what's deserved. That is what's given to you as a part of your compensation. Here, you get a paid day off. And people go and desert that. They don't use it. And I'm over here, just spent some time out of work. I could use a few more days off, especially ones that are paid. Why do people do that? What else do people desert? I read an article in June where a little baby, a little baby was found in a grocery bag in Georgia. No one knows who the mother is. No one knows who the father is. But they found a living baby. Deserted. Forsaken. And alive. In a grocery bag. I saw in my life where the elderly are put aside. Where the elderly are forsaken. Every day in the facility that I work in, I see people who get no visits, who see no friends, who see no family members, deserted, forsaken. And then we see in our lives, we see people that forsake their morality, their common decency, their moral rectitude, and instead of more speaking the truth, they get ahead in business. Instead of doing something honest, they get over on somebody. And they surrender. And they forsake that which is so important, our moral lives. And then also, people who forsake the confession of faith, their relationship with God. They leave it behind for some reason. They desert it. They forsake it. And instead, they're looking for something better, I guess. And they leave their relationship to God and they leave it. Just like they left those vacation days. Just like that lady left that baby. Just like people leave the elder. They forsake something so important. A relationship with Almighty God. They leave it. And that's what Hebrews here is about. It says, let us hold Fast, the confession of our hope without wavering. 
For he who promised is faithful. And so this passage is about us hanging on, holding fast to God in this life that throws so much at us. And so what this passage does is, number one, it tells us why, why we should hold fast. And it also tells us how to hold fast. Has there ever been a point in your life where you couldn't believe where you were or that you were overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life? I, I've, I had that when I was dating my wife. It's like, why is this beautiful young girl interested in me? Thank you, Lord. What's she doing with a fool like me? Right? Some of you men also know that feeling, I can see. Why is she with me? I'm overwhelmed by her presence. Those butterflies that you get, right? I remember as a musician, I was overwhelmed when I got to perform and record in New York in Jimi Hendrix's storied studio, Electric Lady. And I couldn't believe, I was overwhelmed. Here I am, some boy from nowhere, getting to record in this musical, rock and roll, sacred place. Wow, I was overwhelmed by that. And of course, when I got to hold my daughter for the first time and look into that infinite world of value and beauty and love, overwhelmed by how wonderful life had been to me. But what about being in the presence of God? When was the last time you were overwhelmed By being in the presence of God. And that is what Hebrews 10 is about. is about this access that you and I have. Not to the president. Not to a beautiful woman. Not to a baby. Not to a studio. But to almighty God. That's a humbling thing, isn't it? That when we worship God, we enter His presence. We have entered His presence when we come to worship in spirit and in truth. That should be an overwhelming thing. That should grab your heart. That when we come to God in prayer, that we have entered a conversation with Almighty God. What a wonderful, beautiful thing. And what we have in Christ is a life of communion with Almighty God. The book of Hebrews is a very interesting book. It gives us the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It gives us the connection between the Torah and who Jesus is. And so this passage here is very rich. There's a lot of imagery in it, and it's very rich theologically. So get ready, because we're going to dive into some deep material here. It says of the old law in Hebrews 10.1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. The Torah was a shadow of the substance which is in Christ. The Old Testament was this thing that was preparing us 
was getting the world ready, was instructing us, as Paul said, it's our tutor, teaching us to appreciate who Jesus really is. And that is where verse 19 begins. Look at it with me. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. First, it gives the nature of our approach that we as Christians, by by the blood of Jesus, that we can enter the holiest place, not timidly, not in fear, but we can come to God boldly with our need. Hebrews 4, 16 says it like this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In Christ, you have access to the throne room of God. That's mind-blown. The God that created the heavens and the earth. The God that created the universe. You have access to Him. Think about this term, holiest. And what the Hebrew writer is talking about is the holiest of holies. And that was an inner chamber in the temple. This is a reference back to that sacred place called the holiest holies. And there was only one person, one person who could enter that room. And that was the high priest. And he could only enter that room once a year on the Day of Atonement. We call that day Yom Kippur. And it was a day in which was celebrated and there was this immense ceremony and it was done to avert the wrath of God. And it was the highest exhibition of the mediatorial work of the high priest. The high priest is going into this chamber that only one person can go to make mediation for all the people. It was the only commanded fast day in all of the Mosaic Law. It was considered the Sabbath of Sabbaths. Listen to this. This is how the high priest, what he had to do to approach God. Typically, the high priest would bathe five times and perform ten washings in the course of the day. He's getting ready to be with God. You getting this? The night before the Day of Atonement, there was an all-night vigil. And in fact, he had guys around him that would keep him awake to prepare him to go into the presence of God. High priest, you're about to be with God in the holiest of holies. And these guys kept him awake all night to get ready for this. I would want some sleep, on the other hand. He would make a sacrifice for the priest and for himself. He would sacrifice a bullock for the people and sprinkle blood on the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, and then also do the scapegoat ritual in which two identical goats would come to him. He would cast lots and then one would be offered and the other would go free in the wilderness. And guess what else they did to the high priest when he walked into the holiest of holies? And this is according to Jewish tradition. They would tie a rope around him. 
They would tie a rope around the high priest because when he entered the holiest of holies, and if he did something wrong in the presence of God, he would be struck dead. And as a result, how are you going to get the body out of the holiest of holies? Do you want to go into the holiest of holies where the high priest, the main guy, just died? Not this minister. So they had a rope that they could pull the high priest out in the case of his death. Now what did the Hebrew writer say that you have access to? He says that you have access to the holiest of holies and not that you have to go in there with a rope tied around you. You can go into the presence of God with boldness through Jesus Christ. It's like the whole thing awakes in Jesus, doesn't it? Look at what verse 20 says. By a new... There's something new in Jesus. There's something new offered. There's something that that old law, that Torah could not give us. It is in Jesus, this newness. That is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are new. In Christ there is a newness. Also it says a living way, a new and living way. God has given us a new living way. It's life. It's not one of death. It's one of life. It's one of practicality. How do you need to live your life? Christ is giving us that answer. How should I live? It says He consecrated it. Which is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek, hagiosmos, which means to make holy. And then listen to this. Listen to this phrase. For us. For us. Isn't that a beautiful statement? That all of this was done for you. That Christ has opened up that door to the holiest of holies, to the very presence of God, not just for a high priest, not for just some minister, not for just some elder, but for all of us. All of us have access to the presence of God in Jesus Christ. But how was it done? How was, how was that gained? And it says this, through the veil that is His flesh. You see, the price to the presence of God was the life of Jesus. And it gives this image of a veil that His very flesh was the veil in which we enter the presence of God. And there was this great veil that stood between the holiest of holies in, the, in that inner chamber. And it's some 60 feet high, 20 feet wide, with scarlet and blue and purple colors to it. And it was very, very thick. And of course, no one wanted to go behind that veil. But when Jesus was crucified on Calvary in Matthew chapter 27, it says that veil was torn. That that veil was torn from the very top. It didn't start from the bottom. 
It didn't start with man. It didn't start with a high priest tearing it. It started with God tearing that veil. And it's through the life of Jesus, through His death, through His flesh, through that veil, that now the greatest revelation of God has been made through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil of His flesh. And in the cross, we have the greatest self-disclosure of who God is. God loves you. And it's through the high priest. Verse 21, look at this. And having a high priest over the house of God, He is that mediator. He's the one who's made it possible. He has bridged the chasm between heaven and earth, between infinite and finite, between righteousness and sinfulness, between God and man. Jesus stands in the middle and has made access for us. There's a whole lot of why in that, isn't there? Look at what has been given to us. Why would you want to forsake that? Why would anyone want to give that up? That's the work of God. Now the Hebrew writer shifts and he starts talking about what I need to do in response to what God has done. Look at what it says in verse 22. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. We need to approach. If you have access to God... Don't you want to draw near to God? Let us draw near to Him. And here's how it is. Number one, your heart's got to be right. You've got to seek Him in faith with a true heart and in full assurance of faith. Some people might ask the question, well, if it's faith, then how can I have full assurance? Because isn't faith where you don't know for sure You're kind of making a jump. You're leaping. That's not the faith that the Bible describes. Because as C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. What faith gives you is it unlocks understanding to everything. Without faith, things don't add up. Things don't make sense. And once you begin to see in the lens of faith our reality, you begin to see it. And as a result, it's not guesswork. It's not an if proposition. It is full assurance and faith. And it says the inward work is that our hearts are sprinkled. They're cleansed. But it also gives an external. It says our bodies are washed with pure water. This is a reference to what? Baptism. That we're born of the water and of the Spirit. That baptism doth also now save us because it's an answer to a good conscience, as it says in 1 Peter 3, 21. And that's that external approach to God. As a result, I need to hold fast. Once I draw near to God, Once my heart has been sprinkled and my body washed in baptism, i got to hold on to it. Because life isn't just about finding God, it's about holding on to that confession. That's why in verse 23 it says, 
Hold fast. We've got to persevere through this together. We've got to persevere. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. And why should we be faithful? Why should we hold on? Because God has been faithful to us. And and ultimately, that's who Jesus is. He is the answer to the Torah. The Torah, the old law, is the promise. And Jesus is the answer. Did Jesus come and die for our sins? Was Jesus raised from the dead? Yes. And if Jesus came to this earth, I know that God can keep the rest of His promises. So how do we hold on without wavering? That sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? How do we hold on to that confession? How do we persevere when life throws us temptations? When life throws us struggles? Verse 24 gives us the answer. And 25. The way that we hold fast to the confession is, is that you don't hold it by yourself. You're not supposed to hold the confession by yourself. This is not a solo job. What God has called is for us to live in a community. The way you hold on to the confession is that we hold on it together. We've got to hold this thing together. Look at verse 24. Let us hold fast to that confession of our hope, plural, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The way that we hold fast to that confession is that we hold it together. That I'm here to encourage you. You're here to encourage me to consider one another in what? In love. Jesus told His disciples, if you love one another, then you are My disciples indeed. John 13, 35. It says good works. If we're going to persevere in our faith and in this confession of who Jesus is, we have to do it together. And then verse 25, what does it say? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as it is the manner of some. So the way that God has given us the how in which we continue to persevere in life is that you just don't go at it alone. You go at it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. God has called us into a community together and that means I can't forsake you. Why would anybody forsake their days off? I don't know. Why would anybody forsake a little child? I don't know. Why would anybody forsake the elderly and the infirmed? I don't know. But why would we desert and forsake one another? And why would we forsake this intimacy that we only know in Jesus Christ? Christ has given us this great gift that when we worship God, when we gather together, we enter the very presence of God. Why would we want to forsake that? That when we pray to God, we have entered a conversation with the God of heaven. Why would we want to forsake that? That when we are in Christ, we are living in communion 
with God Himself. Why forsake that? Why forsake holding fast together? That's why it's so important to be in a community of believers. To have those around you. Because some days, guess what? My faith ain't very alive. Sometimes this old boy gets burned out. Sometimes I get weak. And then I see a brother and sister and they're... God is real in their life. God is working in their life. And, and, I, and I need their encouragement. I need to hear the hymns. I need to hear the prayers. I need to partake of communion. I need to live in the presence of God. And if you live in the presence of God, if you live in that community, that is life-giving. That is spiritual life. So let us hold fast together. There's many storms will come in our life. Many sorrows. But we're here together as a community of faith. Think about that beautiful gift. Only in Jesus. Today, if you have not obeyed Jesus, it begins in that faith and that awareness of who Christ is. To believe in Him. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. That we have to repent of our sins, see what sin does to ourselves and to others around us, and turn from that. And confess Him, to hold fast to that confession, to confess Him to be the Son of the living God. That's the confession, Hebrews 3.1. is Christ. Christ is the answer. And to be baptized into His name, the church, and to live in a community of fellowship that's holding fast together. That's what God desires of us, for us to encourage one another. What a beautiful gift. Or if you are a Christian and you need prayers of healing, of strength, we want to give you that opportunity. If you have any need, we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.